I apologize for turning my back on, uh, on the screen or on you to look at the screen because I'm not sure what's going to be on the screen. I, uh, I told them what to put on the screen, but I don't know when it's going to come on. So, Oh, um, you don't have a bulletin that, that asks this question. What are you giving your life to? How many learned the, the small poem that I found out comes from uh, a famous missionary to Africa? Not me. Uh, I'm the infamous missionary from Africa. Um, how many know this? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Yeah. Let's say it together. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I wanted to have the youngest person in the congregation say that, and then I wanted the oldest person in the congregation to say that. Now we've all said it. How old are you, ma'am? How old are you? Yes. Wow, 95. Did you say it? Did you know that? Did you know that, that poem, Only One Life, or that saying? You didn't know it? Okay. Only one life. We don't know when that twill soon be passed is. I talked to somebody this morning. My brother uh, was a wrestler at Wheaton College. He went to state uh, in wrestling his senior year to the state finals, uh, to the state meet. Um, he died 20 years ago. He was fit. He wrestled with kids that would become state champions in Hastings, Nebraska. He trained them. He wrestled with them. He wrestled with the heavyweights, and he weighed half of what I weigh. But he's in heaven now. Only one life will soon be passed. We don't know. I was wondering about that uh, this morning as I was flying in when the lightning was flashing and the plane was dropping, uh, not hundreds of feet, but it was pretty scary there for a bit. Uh, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's not very often that you get to use an illustration that, that your son used when he preached on the Sunday, was July 4th a Sunday? Who knows? Sorry? A Monday? Okay. The 3rd of July, my son spoke. My son is a retired SEAL. And he used this illustration. His sermon title was similar to this, but I didn't borrow his notes. But I am going to borrow the illustration. The signers of the Declaration gave themselves to a great cause. All the men whose signatures we have on that document declaring this is a new, a new deal here in these, these 13 colonies. They were giving themselves to a noble cause. Signing the declaration proved to be very costly. Five signers were captured by the British and brutally tortured as traitors. Nine fought in the Revolutionary War and died from wounds or hardships. Two lost their sons in the war, and two others had sons captured. A very noble cause. 
What are you giving your life for? They gave themselves to the founding of a new country, and they paid a very high price. But only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I think we have uh, the next slide. I was going to title the, uh, the, the sermon, Building Bigger Barns. If you know anything about sermons, uh, if you can get alliteration, if you can get anything with three B's or three P's or three anythings, uh, you, it's like winning the lottery. Building Bigger Barns. Your homework assignment is, I'm not sure if it's going to come up first or second, um, this is the outline. The other thing you're supposed to do when you preach a sermon is have three points. Uh, we've had the poem already. You're supposed to have three points, a prayer and a poem. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to pray, but we've had the prayer too. So we're going to see the problem of what you're giving your life to. We're going to find out the solution and then the promise to that solution. Okay, next slide. This is our text for today. Let's go to the homework assignment. This is where the building bigger barns came from. Next slide. Next slide. We're going to go back to that. This is the homework for this week. Write this down, please. Or take a picture. You can take a picture of the screen if you want. I do that a lot because I don't like to write. Your homework for this week is to look at this passage, Luke 12, 16 to 21, Hopefully after today, this will make even more sense. This is the building bigger barns side. The other thing is, uh, Dennis, do you ever ask your wife to critique if you're going to speak? Do you ever ask her to look at your sermon notes? Never? Never? Ah! <laughs> He's not having lunch today at home. <laughs> Would anybody like to invite Dennis over for a meal? No. Uh, my wife is actually a better communicator than I am. And so I shared my, my, uh, my outline, my thoughts on paper. Uh, you saw this in the introduction. The sermon is here on this page. And she wrote some comments and she said, don't preach from both passages, from the Luke passage, only preach from the Mark passage. So we're going to look at the Mark passage now. But she said, your homework, though, is... The Luke passage, building bigger barns. Don't ever forget that. Not because I said it, because the text says it. That's what the guy was going to do in that passage. Okay, let's turn to, uh, back to our text. Uh, and he summoned the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And this is the, this is the key. For what does it benefit or what does it profit a man or a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Next slide. For what could a person give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
If you don't remember anything that I say, if you remember this, and the question that we started with, what are you giving your life to? What does it profit a man? Mark 8.36. What does it profit any of us if we gain the whole world and lose our own souls? The problem is we will do many things in life thinking that those are important things. The, the founders of our nation gave themselves to a great cause. But was it building the kingdom of God? Was it doing what God says? What is the greatest commandment? What is, this is an interactive sermon. You're going to be on the, if you shout loud enough, you'll make it to the, to the audio portion of the, of the sermon day. Shout it out. What's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And what's the second is like the first? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is, what are you giving your life to? If you're not giving yourself to what God wants you to do, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Loving God with all of our hearts. Loving people with all of our hearts as well. But how do we do that? That's the question. That's the, that's kind of the, that the rubber meets the road. Not just, oh, this great, yeah, you're supposed to love God with all of your heart. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. But what does it mean? What are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus gives us the answer to that. My wife actually wrote down the, uh, uh, the bottom of uh, the, I think it's the last, almost, well, it's actually at the beginning of 1 John. Um, it's on page 441 if you've ever used this Bible. Um, because there are no verses. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what verse it is, but I know it's, it's at the bottom of 441. This is what John says. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. I'll read it again. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. So Jesus said, if we love him, we will what? We'll obey. We'll keep his commandments. We'll do what he says. And that's, if we give our lives to that, we will be, we will be successful in God's economy. We will do what God wants us to do. He wants us to, to listen to him. How do we do that? How do we listen to what God says? Do we, do we go on a mountaintop and hum? Mm, God, I didn't hear you. Louder. Mm. No. Where does God, where does God communicate with us? In His Word. He tells us what He wants us to do in His Word. So we make time for that. We spend time with God. We listen. Can you turn the air conditioning? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's blowing my notes around here. Um, we listen to what God says, and then we do what he says. We put it into practice. Another thing that, that, that he said was the last words. Are the last words that people say important? How many were here five years ago when I spoke in August? I was at my 50th high school reunion. 
I'm actually coming back in August. Um, I would come back to the church then as well, but I literally fly at 5, um, I think 5.15 in the morning from O'Hare after the big party. No, I, I'm not a party guy, but I want my classmates to know Jesus. I want to give them an opportunity. Their life is running out too. Only one life will soon be passed. I want them to know that Jesus Christ has changed my life and their life can be changed as well. One of the gals from the reunion, two of them actually came and listened to me preach from, from five years ago. They're also believers, but they came to hear uh, this guy that wasn't even a Christian the first two years of high school. I was a, I was a rebel in high school the first two years. God got a hold of me. He, he irresistibly drew me to himself and I understood the gospel. I could quote Bible verses. Do you guys have an Awana program here? Or you've had one in the past? In the past. I knew so many Bible verses from Awana. My parents weren't Christians, but I had to memorize the verse for next Sunday's Sunday school lesson before I could have lunch at my house. Try that on your kids. <laughs> no. Uh, just learning a Bible verse doesn't make you a Christian. But when you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and God's word then becomes, oh, that's what, that's what that was about. And I want to follow what, what God says. I want to do what he says, because that shows that I love him. If you love me, do what I say. Not me, but Jesus says that. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, the last thing somebody says is pretty important usually. If, if I'm on my deathbed and I tell my kids and my wife, these are my last words. I, I, I think I'm leaving real soon here. Am I going to talk about the weather, the cubs, or the bears? No. I'm going to impart something that will be life-changing or life-affirming, my love for my children. What did Jesus say when he left? What were his last words to the disciples and to us? Not just them, but to us as well. What did he say? Shout it out. I'm not talking anymore. Yeah, going into all the world. The command that Jesus gave wasn't on the going. We've been taught that. I, I was taught that from, in Africa, you don't say from this, from this big, that's the size of an animal in Africa. You say from this size here. When I was this big, I learned that I was to go into all the world. We had a world map at First Baptist Church of Elmhurst that had dots where the missionaries that they supported, red Christmas tree lights, from the back of the world map. Uh, and I grew up seeing that world map. I think that's why I'm a missionary today. But I, I learned from the King James Bible, it was always go as the command. The command is not go. The command is make disciples. We make disciples by three participles that are in that passage. In the Greek, it's the by, by means of going, by means of teaching, and by means of baptizing. 
That's how we make disciples. So those are Jesus' last words. What are you involved in? Are you making disciples? My son leads the worship team at a small church in, uh, in North Idaho. It's on the Spirit Lake Cutoff. It's called Valley Baptist Church. He stands up with his guitar. He couldn't play anything on the guitar until he came to our home in South Africa and he said, Dad, I want to learn the guitar. And he was literally on his way to the airport. I gave him a guitar and he could play three chords, G, C, and D, by the time he got on the airplane. And now he leads the worship. But he doesn't, he doesn't, it's not about him. He has 10 people behind him. The stage, they're, they're standing there like this, playing their guitars and because it's so crowded. His daughter plays the, the violin. She's 14 now. His 10-year-old or 12-year-old son plays the banjo. We're kind of a country church. Uh, and uh, his next oldest son plays the mandolin with me. There are so many people on the stage that the mandolins sit in the front row, and we call ourselves the Mandalorians. Did that ring a bell there? Is he, is this, is he into the Mandalorians? Huh? You want to join the, the Mandalorians? <laughs> yeah. I'm a hipster grandfather because I know, I've never seen the Mandalorians, but I know what they are. I've heard of them anyway. But it's not about, it's not about the, the quality of the music. My, my grandson, bless his soul, playing the banjo. All he can do is a finger roll on the banjo, and it doesn't make any difference if we're playing a hymn that's in three, four time, or a country western song, a hillbilly song, or whatever, a Christian song. Uh, he's, he's, nothing changes. It's the same role on the banjo. And who cares? God is glorified. My son is discipling all of these people behind him. He's helping them. A 16-year-old son of the pastor began playing two years ago in the praise band. He could hardly play three chords when he started. Now he leads worship when my son is out of town. A 16-year-old with confidence and assurance, without pride, leads worship. He disciples through this. He disciples through a... a through a ministry that he started called Father-Son Ministries. I'm bragging on my son, but he started this. He said, Boy Scouts, you drop your kids off and you hope that something good happens. They learn some, some things. He teaches them a physical skill. He's a, he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. All the kids, they, they, the room that they, that they have for Father-Son Ministries is smaller than one quarter of your foyer out there. It's got mats all over the floor. The kids run around to warm up. Then they they learn technique in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Then they learn a life skill, and they learn something from the Bible. That's father-son ministry. And they don't do it in a vacuum. They don't do it with just my son or another leader. They do it with their father. And so my son is discipling the fathers and the sons in our in our, uh, in our church. The solution is to love God. The problem is, is we're trying to do things our way. We're trying to build bigger barns. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? There are a lot of idols in the world. 
People are looking for things to make them important. And God wants us to do things that make him important. So the solution is is not just going to Africa to make disciples, but it's while I'm going through life, I... I live at 384 Bluebird Lane in Priest River, Idaho. My focus is not just Africa. I get to go to Africa. I'm a, an occupational Christian. You know, most of you put money in the, in that box back there in a traditional church. They pass an offering plate. Well, I'm the guy that gets to take money out of the offering. You put money in. I get to take it. No, I don't take it out, but, uh, they take it out and, and, Give money to the missionaries. The Great Commission isn't for the full-time people. The Great Commission is for each of us, wherever we are. What? Let me see. I, I, I'm going to get off the platform. I can't stand it. Ah, there you are. All I saw was bright lights. Uh, tell me what you do for a living. Just shout it out. Besides retired. I know that this side is already... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, and this side too. No, <laughs> what do you do for a living? Tell me what your jobs are. What do you do? Are you a housewife? Uh, I'm a mom and a photographer. And a photographer, okay, sir. Truck driver. Stu- student. Retired. Retired. Huh? Driver. driver. Carpet cleaner. Okay. Anybody here? What do you do? Students there in the. Homeschool? Homeschool? What? IT. IT, okay. Bruce, what do you do? Manage a forklift company. Okay. What does it mean? Sorry, I picked on this side. Uh, what does it mean to be going through life? We're all going through life. Whether we're on Babcock or uh, Van Auken or whatever street we live on, how many of you live on a street where everybody's a Christian? Yeah, nobody. How many of us have gone to our neighbors? I'm going to I'm going to close this section with an illustration that I'm I am a missionary. I go, I get to go far away for the gospel's sake. But I go to my neighbor's house. David and Susan Bowditch were my neighbors. They had about 15 acres right next to my place. He was a bush pilot in Alaska. He had a, an airplane in his garage. He had a helicopter in his garage. He's a, he's a certified mechanic, uh, A&P and all that stuff. Airframe and power plant mechanic. Well, how, how were they going to hear about Jesus? He never would darken the door of our church. Even, even with me inviting him, he never came. But he came to our house, and he heard about Jesus at our house. And I went to his house, and I learned about, I actually would turn wrenches with him. Not important ones, but he'd say, tighten this thing here. (laughs) I don't want the plane to fall out of the sky, but I went to his house. They moved away a year ago. New people moved in. My son said, Dad, go go to the new people's house. Rod and... Felicity lived there now. 
They're not married. They had two kids somehow connected to that pairing. We invited them. I went to their house and said, I'd, I'd seen them. I'd stopped in one time before just to greet them. Hey, I'm your neighbor across the fence here. They came and brought their kids to the 4th of July celebration at our church on that Monday because I went and invited them. Are we, are we going to our neighbors? Are we going to our colleagues at work? Are we, we're not beating them with our Bibles, but are we, are we going through life with this mindset? I need to help people that are outside of God's family come into God's family. That's the Great Commission. The solution concludes with the promise. What does the end of uh, Matthew 28, verse 20 say? How does he conclude just before he's taken up into heaven? Lo, I am with you. Is there a greater, is there a greater, um, a greater promise than that? Jesus, the Christ, the creator, saying, I will be with you always. Not, not if you're good. Not if, not if you keep all the commandments. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A lot of us think the end of the age could be any day now. Could be. Paul thought it was back then, 2,000 years ago. Could be. We don't know. But Jesus said, I will be with you. Do we want that? It's not a conditional statement. If you don't go or if you don't make disciples, I won't be with you. But we have the promise, if we make disciples, I will be with you. There's no greater. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are you giving your life to?